2018, I think it was, rolls around. I'm playing for the Lakers at the time and I see the, the property pops up online, Two Point Avenue. I'm like, oh, it's a property. So I, I get a friend to go out there and um, he he goes to one of the open inspections. They would not even let him in the house. The agents would not let anybody in the home. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 87 of the show. How are you doing? Hope you're well. I'm doing fine. Just wrapping up what's been a pretty crazy year. It's actually been a real roller coaster this year with lockdowns and shutdowns. Delays with applications, some incredible sales results, and everything in between. I'm actually looking forward to a a bit of a break, as I'm sure many people are. I'm actually finishing off the year pretty strongly. We sold the final unit in my last project for a good price, and that'll settle at the end of January, which will put a full stop after that project and basically bring it to a close. On my other project, we've finally started with SiteWorks with excavation and benching underway, which is very exciting to see. It's been a while getting that project out of the ground. Be sure to check out the video I posted on the show's Facebook and Insta feeds to see how it's looking. I'm really looking forward to seeing that project take shape throughout next year. Speaking of finishing off the year on a strong note, There's been a stack of people joining up to the property developer training over the past month, which is amazing. So if you want to start the new year with a bang and finally take that step into property development, then be sure to check out my online course that guides you step-by-step through the property development process and sets you up to take on your own small-scale development, like a duplex or a three or four unit site. Head over to www.propertydevelopertraining.com to discover more. Remember, you can always catch me on Insta and Facebook with my latest project updates and other news under the handle of Property Developer Podcast. I've been posting some cool videos of the site works that are happening on my latest project, so be sure to have a look at them. So, my guest today is well-known basketballer Andrew Bogut. Andrew made a name for himself playing top-flight basketball in the US and Australia with teams like the LA Lakers and even winning an NBA title with the Golden State Warriors. He also represented Australia in two Olympics. While Andrew has acquired quite a portfolio of investment properties, which we'll discuss with him, I wanted to speak with him about a redevelopment project that he started that went anything but according to plan. Andrew's story will be pretty familiar to anyone who's been through a few planning applications, especially if they were a bit contentious for some reason. We talk about how Andrew was blindsided by a local interest group, how the local councillor hung him out to dry, about his trip to the planning tribunal and how it all finished up. It was a pretty crazy journey for a guy who just wanted to redevelop his land. Many of the challenges that Andrew faced, I've been through myself with some applications, so it was interesting to get his take on the overall experience. 
I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation. And I started off with my usual question about what food Andrew would eat until he was sick. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it's a good question, actually. Until uh, I was sick, probably be um, penne and la vodka, pink sauce, most likely. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon that's one of the more sophisticated responses we've had so far on the show. You'll have to explain what that is and why it's your favourite. Oh, it's just basically a pink sauce. Um, I make it myself, figured out how to make it, um, been a big fan of it for many years, so it's kind of a red and white sauce mix, essentially. Um, yeah, just pretty, real simple, easy to make. Um, but, yeah, I love I love my pastas, um, either that or, or some sort of nice, nicely grilled steak. But, um, yeah, I'm a big foodie, so... The list will be pretty long. Lucky you said one. <laughs> All right. Well, we're here today to talk about property development, which is probably a bit of a surprise when people see your name because they would associate you with basketball. But can you give us a bit of a background on your interest in, well, firstly, property investment before we then get to your foray into what I would call property development and the interesting story that that has? But I understand you've also invested in property over time. How did you get into investing in property? I like anyone else. You, you're probably your first home is what you invest in. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I just along the way needed numerous properties for different business interests for me. And then um, <clears throat> I'd either no longer need that property or move on to something that had more space. So maybe it might be in commercial area or something like that, same as with houses, and then um, end up trying to keep, you know, whatever I've moved out of and rent it. And um, I mean, my journey has been all over the place, really. I mix the residential, commercial, um, all different types of commercial. You know, some of them are chasing yields. Some of them are, um, are kind of strategic where there's just some development upside down, down the track. Um, same with residential. So... A mixed bag, really. Um, got involved mainly from an investment point of view, just because once I started to figure out I could make a yield off off commercial mainly, um, and and it was a bit. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of commercial um, beyond. You know, unless you're in, unless you're in COVID, um, but commercial for me is a bit easier just to manage myself because you know obviously the outgoings and, and maintenance is kind of the tenant's responsibility for the most part. So I kind of steer more towards that side of things. Residential tends to do my head in uh, for the most part. Um, Rental-wise, just because of, you know, the constant um, toilets. The toilet's broken, you know, it's just like, ah, like just never ends, you know. So um, as far as the sit and forget, I think commercial's the way to go, but probably not so much in the office building space. I look, I look more for, um, I like cafes. I like um, buildings that have, you know, restaurateurs or, or food, good quality um, as tenants because they usually do pretty well. They pay their bills on time and, um, that's yeah, that's kind of the short spiel, but all over the place, really. And is it mainly in Victoria, or have you got other holdings elsewhere? Uh, pretty mixed, yeah. A couple of, uh, mainly was Victoria, but I'm, I'm steering to move out of Victoria for obvious reasons. I, I just think it's um, yeah, Victoria is so over legislated. Um, most of Australia is, but Victoria, especially um, the amount of taxes and levies and all that they're putting on. On people that own property there, it's I'm I'm actually steering away from a lot of properties there, um, and selling selling off and just get away from there um, as far as their investment because they've just the government's just made it so hard. Um, 
to you know make a make a little bit of a profit at the end of everything that you pay. So um, I've been you know a little bit in New South Wales, a little bit in Queensland, um, but yeah, it's just just one of those things where the majority of it you know twelve months ago was in Victoria, but I'm I'm starting to phase that out a little bit. And so, have you done any development to any of those properties that you've bought, or is that something for the future? No, I haven't. I haven't. Um, haven't jumped into that game yet. I'd, I'd be flying blind right now, to be honest. I, you know, um, after going through Bo Morris more from a homely point of view, learned some valuable lessons in that. But as far as um, the commercial stuff, no. I mean, most of my stuff um, is either, either cafes. I try to go freehold. I don't like touching. I don't like touching body corp for the most part because I don't. I don't really see. You know, there's not a lot of value in the land holding with body corp. Um, there is a better yield usually, but yeah, I try to stay away from body corp for that very reason. Um, I like to maintain it myself, but uh, there there are a few properties commercially that have potential for me to go up above what I own, um, which is a pretty cool twist to have down the line. Um, but, you know, like I'll, for instance, a couple of those properties, I'll, I'll always be looking to see if the, the neighbouring property pops up, um, you know, and then just have a bigger footprint on, on, on street corners and whatnot. And then, you know, down the line, you might get a knock on the door from someone wanted to put a you know 10 15 story apartment up or something like that so i do definitely keep my eye on that kind of stuff okay well you've touched on the bo morris property which is really the reason for me getting in touch with you and and having a chat so let's get into that do you want to give us a little bit of background or let me start off with a bit of background so um I actually live in Beaumaris, which is uh, where this subject site was and wandered past uh, the block one day during lockdown and saw the yellow public notice sign up on the fence and thought, oh, that's quite interesting, and uh, looked up the plans and saw a pretty substantial <laughs> development that um, involved incorporating two blocks, so it was the one block at the front and then a second block at the back, and I thought, this is a amazing uh, project for a sort of residential area. It looked incredible. And then um, didn't sort of think anything further of it until I saw an article in the paper <laughs> that referenced you and put two and two together and realised that it was the, the same block and that it was you that was doing the development and so I was keeping tabs on the project from there, but I don't want to uh, give away the ending or the middle of the story. So why don't you give us a bit of a background about uh, the the Bo Morris property and what happened or how you got started on it to begin with? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a long story. Um, so 2000 and you know, how, how I come to, to buy the property, um, we were property owners in Beaumaris. We lived there for a couple of years during the midst of my career. Well, not live there. When we were in Australia, we, we, we stayed there for a month or two that we were in town, had a little townhouse in Beaumaris, loved the area. I, I bought there in 2010. Uh, that's a separate property, the townhouse that we had. I, I did a lot of study about the area back before it. I don't think it boomed then. Um, it, was, it was a very well-established suburb, but it wasn't what it is today. Um, not many people knew about it. They thought Some people thought it was too far from the city, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, we did a lot of research and I'm, I'm from the southeast, so we wanted to be still have a f one foot in the southeast, access to, you know, I've got warehouses down in Dandenong, I had a basketball facility in Caram Downs, one foot to get to there and then one foot to be able to access the city. So about 30 minutes each way, which was perfect. It was on the water. 
Um, so we love that area. And <clears throat> um, I did a lot of study about the demographic, older population, much quieter, great place to raise raise children once we had children at that point. So I was looking to the future and, and, and bought in there. And then five years later, about 2015, 16, uh, 401 Beach Road popped up. And I had this thing where I, I never wanted to live on Beach Road. Um, I'm not a main road guy. I don't like getting out of my driveway right into the hustle and bustle, like being one street off or in a court or whatever, right? So someone um, reached out to me about, about 401 Beach Road and said, hey, there's a really nice property you should look at that would be perfect for you, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as I got the the brief of the IM, it said 401 Beach Road. I said, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to leave on Beach Road. I don't, I don't you know, I'm going to have kids one day, pets potentially, they run out, you know, there's cyclists, there's cars. So I don't like main roads and left it at that. The agent didn't really follow up. And then it was for sale for a long time. It was for sale for, you know, 18 odd months. And um, I guess someone else got the, I think Kane Burton got the contract. And then I was just looking online and I saw this property and then I saw some of the photos and I was like, how is that on Beach Road? I don't, it's kind of quick. It's, it's got a view. It's kind of weird. Like, so I was driving home from the city one day and um, I happened to find that that, that house had an open home um, that, that day I was driving Back from the city, so I just popped into the open home and saw it, and then realised that it wasn't the Beach Road address. That's not on Beach Road. It's actually elevated. It's an elevated site. There was no access from Beach Road, and I was like, "Man, this is this is beautiful. Like it's a beautiful property. It's at the end of a dirt road. It, it kind of feels like it's, and you know, you're living in the in the '60s, '70s because the dirt road. Um, you got views and it's private. So long story short, I ended up buying the property, and. We loved the house as it was at the time. We thought we'd live in, we'd live in it one day. This is before we had kids and everything. So I just hung on to it from 2015, had it rented for four or five years. There was a property at the rear of it, Two Point Avenue, which is basically a, a one block inland from mine, directly behind me. And it was, you know, to say it was overrun um, and and overgrown and not in the best state would be a compliment. Um, the property was was an older couple, um, I think in their, in their 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, very, very old. And the property was, you know, could have been deemed a fire hazard at the best of times. And I just always kept my eye on it and said, you know, if, if that ever come up, it'd be perfect to get. I'd take my block from a 1,000 or 2,000. Just at that point, it was more so for the added space, right? It wasn't even about extending. So, um, kept my eye on that. Uh, in fact, I had an agent door knock it randomly and, and, and ask them what they were doing. They, they, they were, oh, we have no interest to sell, whatever. So 2018, I think it was, rolls around. I'm playing for the Lakers at the time and I see the, the property pops up online, Two Point Avenue. I'm like, oh, it's a property. So I, I get a friend to go out there and um, he, he goes to one of the open inspections. They would not even let him in the house. The agents would not let anybody in the home. It was um, two footings had dropped on, in the home, so it was on a it was on a slant. It was unsafe. Um, so that tells you how bad how bad the home was, right? So we we, we, we were going to buy it, you know, with a demolition in mind anyway. So it didn't worry me, right? But just to give people context, it was it was in a dismal state. So anyhow, I ended up end up. Um, Gone auction, it went for a really high number. Um, it was myself and another couple um, bidding and ended up getting it. So then, you know, our, our, our thought process was we'll eventually, you know, contract an architect and then do a bit of an extension reno of, of the current home and then factor in that rear block somehow with, with a pool and a yard and whatever, right? So I knew kind of 
my first foray into knowing how sensitive the area was with all the overlays was um, I had a tenant um, <laughs> that that moved out um, and as part of their move out agreement, they scuffed up the wooden floors, right? So they, they got a contractor in at the end of their tenancy, like most good, good tenants do, and they rectified the scuffs. They got them sanded and re- resealed and lacquered and whatever. But what happened was um, at the front of that property, if people that aren't familiar, there's a, there's a conservation side of this. There's about, you know, couple hundred trees before you get down to, to, to Beach Road. And these people that sanded the floor, the contractors threw their sand um, sandings, they just dumped it in that area, you know, it's just like little sawmill sandings, right? Anyhow, uh, one of the neighbours reported into to the council, so I get a random email from council saying, hey, we're contacting you about, we're going to fine you for illegal dumping. And I'm like, I'm in the US at the time, so I'm like, what do you mean? Well, there's reports that you, you dump some stuff, whatever, whatever, whatever. So I said, hang on a second, I've got a tenant in the property. Let me contact the tenant. So I get to the bottom of it. We find out it was the Sanders. I was really forefront. I was open. I was returning the council's calls, trying to help and trying to say, look, like it wasn't me. Got all that done. But that that kind of alarmed me to how sensitive the area is. Um, so that was one. Another one was uh, um, there was a tree on the side of my property that um, – Someone had cut the the, the, the tree uh, branches were out of a uh, part of my home where there was no windows and the trees were actually facing my neighbor's wall. Oh, sorry, my neighbor's window. So for me to cut those uh, branches would have it would actually limit my my privacy would be affected because they could see straight into my home, right? So I then got a call saying, "Oh, you know, we know you've cut those trees," and I'm like, <laughs> "Once again, there's a tenant in the property. It's not me." Had my PA go down and take photos. We figured out that. These branches were directly in front of a, a neighboring window that if those branches were removed, opened up a bit of a view for that window. So I was trying to explain to the council, like, why would I cut a tree so I could see into someone's kitchen? Like, it makes no sense. So they ended up, it was all okay. But the reason why that story is important is because it shows you how, you know, militant this area is. Um, I know which na- there's one neighbor that basically just sits on their balcony and reports people all day long, um, which I believe is One Point Avenue. And that gave me a foray, right? So for context, why that's important, once we engaged the architects, I knew how sensitive the area was. So we we end up getting the architects out and look, we're going through uh, our extension plans and there was a lot of things we loved and a lot of things we didn't like. Like for instance, they, they built the house not factoring in natural light. So we really had no light in the house for most of the day, which, you know, they didn't factor in where the sun rises, all that kind of stuff. It was, a, it was kind of a bits of extension. So it was extended off a, an old an old uh, 1950s style home and then they just kind of extended off it without thinking about anything. Beautiful in its own right, but just some things that bothered us, right? So we get deep with architects and um, by the time we did the extension, did the add- add-ons of the basement at the back, you know, the landscaping, the number was, was pretty steep. And then it got to a point where my wife and I were like, we're not 100% happy with, with it. We're probably 90%. And then we had that conversation of if we're going to be spending this kind of money, um, I want it to be 110%. And then once we figured that if we knocked down, demolished and rebuilt, we'd be within probably 15 to 20% higher than what the demo would cost. So it was a no-brainer at the time. So then we're like, okay, that's when we got to, to plan B. We're just going to start fresh and really build our dream forever home. So we reached out to council from day one and gave them – Kind of what we're thinking. Um, we we actually sent them our initial plans before we even finalised them. So basically, our first draft plans we sent to council and said, "Hey, go at it. Let us know what what you like, what you don't, what will pass. We want we want we want to keep you in the loop, right?" I was trying to be 
force right and have them involved because I knew how sensitive the area was. My biggest mistake was not knowing that the BCS has more power than the council. That was my biggest mistake. And I was told that I should have reached out to them. And here I am thinking like, hang on a second, who are you? Um, but that's that's essentially, you know, the direction this story goes. So um, we went back and forth three or, three or four times with council, the council development um, department um, at Bayside actually commented like, no one does this. <laughs> no one, no one involves us with their pre-draft plans. They usually, they finalize their plans and put them on our desk and say, this is what we want. And then we have to go back. So they were like really complimentary about like, we really appreciate the fact that you've, you've involved us from day dot and saves us a lot of time, saves you a lot of time. So um, that's basically, you know, where, where we're at and where it ended. Can you give us a bit of a, a flavor of, of what it what the project looked like because it was it was pretty awesome. Yeah, and look, we were um, going towards something grand and nice. Um, had some French influence, um, some arches. Um, we wanted to obviously utilize the view of the ocean front, so the whole ground floor was going to be a big open space with the kitchen, and then two kind of a formal and a non formal lounge room in a big kind of rectangle box. And then a wing went off um, kind of towards the back, which went to a, a wellness area with a kind of a gym and um, steam room, all that kind of stuff, which then flowed down another hallway, which went to the backyard, basketball court, like a probably a, a third of a basketball court, which then led to a, like a summer house, um, kind of granny flat type thing if you got in-laws or whatever. Um, and then the second story was nothing flash it was you know three kids bedrooms and a, and a master that was it upstairs um we ended up putting in a rooftop uh, area late just you know for fireworks new year's just not really a seating area but more a viewing area with the views of the bay and the city and whatever and then the basement um we put in um, enough space for eight car park spaces um a theater a small little uh, wine cellar and, a, and another a second kitchen um like cooking and that so we put in a second kitchen and, and that was that was the scope of it it was it was you know a, a pretty big um build but when you look at the two blocks combined this is what gets me to the council you know they can spin enough council the bcs and, and Morris modern they can spin it how they want we were going to be um 30 footprint on 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 site the rest was going to be open and green which is unheard of i mean you you talk to property developers all the time i'm sure you've done developments no one does that it's the opposite it's 70 percent footprint 30 percent open space so we were 30 percent footprint um and arguably if those blocks were still subdivided um there'd be much less green there because you'd have two houses now being built above you know they'd probably be on, on like 70 30 scale roughly you've lost a whole lot more so that was the build it was it was an amazing plan we put together with architects at Phoenix Architects how great to work with and we were, we were very very happy with it um but yeah we, we you know obviously didn't go go that direction so it was basically around a 2,000 square meter block consolidated with a large house and then entertainment sort of areas and amenity in the backyard yeah, well, I mean, especially with the, the age we're living in, we wanted to build something that if we do get locked down, we have everything on site. Um, to be blunt and honest, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm in a luxurious, privileged position to do that financially. So that was part of the mindset too, was like, hey, okay, if we're locked down again, um, which is highly likely the way Dan Andrews runs Victoria, you know, we um, we want to make sure that if we are with kids and whatnot, we can, we can navigate 
having a beautiful home and staying there for a couple of weeks without without losing our marbles like most people do every day throughout these lockdowns. So that was a, that was definitely a motivation. Yes. Well, I thought actually just thought I'd clarify. So Beach Road, for those who are listening and not from Melbourne, uh, Melbourne City is built on a large bay and Beach Road is the road that essentially runs down the eastern side of the bay. So uh, one side of Beach Road has the beach and the bay and the other side um, has houses. So, But the block that Andrew's talking about is actually on an unusual elevated parcel of land or area of land on beach road that isn't actually right next to the road so it's actually a pretty special spot but i I imagine you put your plans in and you're not expecting any real challenges given what you were proposing to do across two large blocks was that is that right you thought it'd go for the most part like i I, yeah look i was like i said i was i didn't understand how this all worked. I'm kind of a, I ask you a question, give me the answer of, you know, hey, what do I need to do? Give me a list, I'll go and do it. I don't understand the, the, the political hand in pockets that the BCS have with council and councillors and your Clark Martins of the world and all those kind of people. So, you know, that, that threw me by surprise with how much power they have. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we lost plans. Funnily enough, this law has just changed. Um, where now if you lodge plans with council, they don't put whose plans they are, they don't put the name out. I think that's just changed recently over the last couple of months. They don't name the applicant, coincidence. Um, so when when the plans were posted publicly for objectors and whatever, my, name's, my name was on there, obviously. So um, what that then did was, uh, you know, the BCS will hide behind the fact that the documents were online. Now, anyone that's accessed the council website before, your times want to blow your brains out trying to find anything because they're poorly organised and half the time it crashes, half the time documents aren't where they're supposed to be. So for most everyday people... Sorry, just to interrupt. To the, so, the, so BCS is who? Bo Morris Conservation Society. Okay, so that's a local Morris interest group? Local interest group, well, heavy interest group, yeah. And Bo Morris Modern's the other one. Um, there's two of them. They're just militant bedwetters that just cause absolute anarchy. And I, I, you know, plug my podcast. I did a podcast about Bayside City Council. I actually had people, um, everyday people that have dealt with them and, and and what these people have done to everyday people that were either trying to build a, you know, mo- a modest dream home or make a small extension, even remove a tree that's dangerous. What they do to them is, is absolutely appalling. That's a story for another day. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, they end up, they end up, I guess, catching wind of the project. Um, the wording was something like, "Oh, we were blindsided by this. We should have been, we should have been contacted." And I'm just like, "Who the hell are you? Like, I don't pay my rates to you. Like, you don't do council planning. Why do I need to contact you?" So then um, they fire up. I'm trying to navigate, like, "Holy, what's going on here?" I'm trying to call contacts of mine, figure out what's going on, and. Um, Anyhow, in the midst of, 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 of lockdown, the hardcore lockdowns in 2020, they they organise a showing at my property, all of them, um, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 of them. And coincidentally, they organised me to be there. So they they show up to site during lockdown. You know, let me, let, me, let me reiterate, these are the same people that will abuse people for not wearing masks and for not social distancing and abiding by lockdown laws. They all showed up during lockdown. They then claimed it was part of their exercise routine, which is preposterous. Um, and they, you know, gave tear-jerking, um, tear-jerking interviews 
around around the project, essentially. Just got that headphone. Yeah, I mean they, they gave they gave interviews around around that. Um, and then the bonus kicker for me is I have my address printed nationally in most newspapers across Victoria and Australia. So, and, and they'll hide behind the fact that it was public, but for most everyday Joes, they're not going to jump on a Bayside City Council website to find my address, right? But once it's in the Herald Sun or the Age, now everyone's got it. And, you know, I am a divisive figure at the best of times. I, I get that. And I have people that, that love me and hate me. So to have my address printed was just unacceptable. So you basically had two interest groups arc up. So you had one around conservation. So there was more, the it was more the BCS, yeah. More the BCS, yeah, yeah. The Beaumaris Modern weren't really too much involved. They usually protect the 70s era Beaumaris Modern houses, yep. um, whereas the BCS are uh, everything to do with soil and trees and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so they start kicking up a stink and then normally something like this would be rubber stamped through the planning area, would it not? But I suspect that's you not think what it happened would. with you. You think it would? <laughs> yeah, that's where the story gets even funnier. So, as I said, we we, we contacted the planning division at uh, Bayside City Council from the start. Worked with them very well, and and I must say, I, I don't like much people that work in council, but they were very very good to deal with, very professional. They approved my building permit, uh, or, or the, the the planning permit. They approved the planning permit. We've, we got it approved. Um, so I thought, being kind of ignorant to how this all works, I thought, great, you know. And then, you know, Councillor Clark Martin was probably the, the figurehead with all this. Um, so he's they, the local councillor for the area? One of the local councillors for the ward, yeah. Yep. Um, him, and, him and a bunch of other, other uh, people. And, um, yeah, went, went to council meeting, it got voted down, it got um, rejected. And, yeah, he, he caused a big big fuffle around everything, you know, and he's he's heavily embedded with the BCS, heavily, heavily embedded. Um and it's just it's just very very disappointing. And I, I contacted him directly, so much so that he he gave an interview on on television saying that um, we're not going to let people come to Bo Morris and break the law. So I contacted him about that and asked him about it. Said, mate, like you know, it's defamatory what you're saying. Like I'm not breaking any laws. I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. Like what, what you know, I, I didn't say that. And I've, what's well, funny, I've got the recording on my phone um, that a friend of mine recorded during I think it was seven or nine news had it running. Um, but just just the, um, I guess, the, the the mud they were throwing at me, um, the jibes, you know, <clears throat> were just despicable from a councillor. And um, that's when we hit our first roadblock around what, what we're dealing with and, and, and how, how much political power these people have. <clears throat> so essentially the councillor called in your planning application to take it to a council vote, is that correct? Yeah, I'm not sure who caught it, but he was definitely a figurehead. Um, it probably was him, but I can't 100% confirm that. But, yeah, it did, it did go to a council meeting pushed by the Conservation Society and, and their little puppet in Clark Martin that, um, you know, took it to that meeting and, and then they, they went through, you know, had, had that open debate, which I watched online. Um, and, yeah, it, it got knocked back. Before that, um, just quickly, I so when I spoke to, to Clark Martin, he recommended that um, we do a... <clears throat> at the time it was a Zoom call because we couldn't meet in person because of lockdowns with the with the Conservation Society, myself, my architects, my planning, um, the company I had doing the planning around it, 
to have like an open forum about their concerns. So I, I did that as well. I was trying to trying to do the right thing. So I did that much before the council meeting. Had you know a bunch of people in this conservation society basically telling me the prop, telling me what I should do, telling me what I should spend my money on, um, which I just thought was horrendous. I thought it was, um, you know, it just didn't make sense that I'm I'm being dictated to spending you know a lot of money to build a home that I, I you know a family would have been a dream home. They're then telling me, you know, so much so what colour it should be, you know, what trees should stay, um, you know, why does that have to be so close? Why do you need a basement? You know, just nitpicking stuff. And I'm just thinking this meeting, I gave them time to listen to them and I said, look, I, I don't want to, this was never a, a project where I'd come in and wipe the block clean from all trees. You know, the reason why we bought there is because there's some beautiful trees. But on the flip side, there's, some, there's, a, there's a shitload of trees that are dead. Or borderline dead. There's a, there's a a lot of trees that there's a few that are smack bang in the middle of of that rear lot that if someone else bought would have to move to build a house. Like so, that was you know their big push was tree removal. But then, you know what they spin politically beyond the tree removal is they come up with all these other just preposterous um, objections to try and just build the case and make you look worse than you are. Yeah, I've had that experience myself with a project that I did uh, where. All the locals were up in arms and so they called in the local councillor and, of course, he backed them, um, even though my project had got the support of the council's planning department, they ended up calling it in and it went to a council meeting and this was uh, before COVID, so there was a physical council meeting and I went along and was on the agenda and there were people there holding placards (laughs) against the project Uh, and, of course, it got voted down. because the council, who the council is going to support, the big bad dirty developer, or you know the local um, interest groups. So it's, it was pretty. Well, it's, it's it's win-win. This is the thing. It's win-win for councillors because for someone like Clark Martin, who's trying to just climb the ladder politically, um, he, you know, they they go to court or they fight you in the count, you know, council meeting. They take the council meeting and vote you down. They're, you know. If it does go to VK and someone does take it further, it's like if he wins on behalf of the Conservation Society and the residents, he says, yep, we beat the the big greedy property developer or basketballer in this case, you know, we did the right thing. If he loses, he then says, oh, the, the greedy property developer or basketball has too much money. These these greedy rich people, like they're just destroying our area. I tried. So it's a win-win for him politically. That's the problem. Um, and the best part is it's funded by our rates. <laughs> that's the that's the irony in all of this. Was I really have no issue if the BCS wants to go to court about things? Fund it yourself. I should our rates shouldn't be paying for you to take me to VCAT or me to take you to VCAT, and your representation is paid by my very own rates. In, in what world is that normal? If you want to do it, Clark Martin, open your wallet, fund it. Got no problem with it. But the fact that it's taxpayer money doing that. So my, my case cost the taxpayer of, of Bayside City Council up uh, a little bit over $150,000. It's just yeah, to diabolical. Stop, to stop a know? guy building a house, basically. Yeah, and it's I, I get it if you're, you know, if I'm trying to build an eight-story apartment in that area. I totally get it, you know. And, and even some people might argue, well, it's my land. Like, I should be able to do it. The old school mentality is I bought the land. If you want to protect it, buy it. But I get that. I get that, you know, you're trying to do something completely out of code, that there should be some legislation to an extent. But it's gone way too far the other way, where, where people can actually dictate, why do you need five bedrooms put four in? Why do you need, 
you know, Clark Martin, why do you need eight car spaces with an ability to put, um, you know, some lifts in to double it to 16? Why didn't you do that? You should go and buy a warehouse around the corner and put your cars there. This is this is what he actually said at the council meetings. He actually said this on record. He actually said, does Andrew Bogut need 10 theatre seats in his home theatre? Why can't he have four? Like, this is a grown man that we have elected to represent the people saying this petty kind of shit. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, how is this allowed? Like, you know, it's just it's just mind-boggling. Yeah, I remember in the council meeting uh, where they were talking about my project and one of the councillors said we had t- tandem car spaces in some of the townhouses, so, back, um, you know, mm. one in front of the other one. And the councillor goes, oh, well, these aren't very uh, popular, are they, these tandem spots? They're not really a great u- way for a garage to be aligned. And I'm sitting there thinking, but you're allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> whether or not you think it's, whether or not you think it's yeah. a, an appropriate style of garage is irrelevant because you're allowed to do it under the planning scheme so what what difference does it make but there, oh, they just we, we they just throw mud just chuck things at it and then oh, it's some of it sticks look at the objection. If, if you look up i mean i'm sure the records are still on the council site some of the objections on my, on my property were, were amazingly stupid i had the basketball court's going to make noise from a ball bouncing. The basketball court's going to have floodlights. It's going to it's going to light the neighbourhood. I had um, it's going to be an Airbnb party house. That was one of them. I had um, one that actually showed up at VCAT was oh, our neighbour's children are avid bird watchers. Like, like which seven year old is an avid bird watcher? I don't believe like like with iPads and all this stuff today. I had um, too much soil removal for the basement. Um, it was just mind boggling what they would come up with and throw mud with. And then, so I started, you know, I, you want, I, I, fought, I fought fire with fire. I'd, every objector that wrote these things, I looked them up, did some research on all of them and find out that they're doing detrimental things. Clark Martin, for instance, once worked on an oil, offshore oil and gas rig. Like, and now he's a big green thumb greenie protecting the environment. And he's he's arguably done more in one day of that working life than I'll, I'll ever do that's detrimental for the environment in my whole life. You know, that, that's a hypocrisy with all these people. They're, they're saying what keeps them employed and what keeps them on a beautiful taxpayer-funded job where they don't have to do much work other than sip a few lattes a day and, and sit in their own fart-filled offices and smell their own you-know-what. Um, it's a broken system that needs to be, you know, exposed. And and the more, the more and more we just lay down and take it, the more and more this is going to happen and people are just going to continue to run into roadblocks. And, and every day, I mean... People will say, well, you know, Bogut, you got money or, you know, you won your fight at VCAT, why are you being so petty? Well, a main reason why I did this this whole series and this podcast around it was the amount of emails I got from Bayside City Council residents and other people that live all around Australia dealing with their councils. You know, some of them were, were tear-jerking stories. Like there's there's a there's a, a couple on, on that came on my podcast who they had a certain budget to do an extension their house got deemed heritage in the middle of their ownership. So they bought a property in, um, you know, let's say, for example, I don't know the exact dates, in 2010, it was run down. They bought it. They did all their due diligence. They thought, you know, there's no heritage overlay. We're going to buy this. We're going to live in it for five or six years, kind of in a, in a pretty poor state and just live with it. And then we're going to have some funds bought, you know, five, six years to, to do a renovation, right? So mid-ownership, 2013, 14, 15, it gets a heritage overlay slapped on it. So now they're like, we're in a, we're in a essentially unsafe home. They've said like 
things aren't working properly, roof tiles are falling, it's a pitch, massive pitch roof from, a, from an old school Bo Morris modern house. But that's just one example. So they fight these people. They go to VCAT, they spend a couple hundred thousand dollars. They ended up losing. But even if they won, that money was their extension money. They can't, they can't renovate now anyway. And now they're still in that very home, they said, and they can't renovate. You know, things are breaking by the day. They can't put a tenant in there because if you put a tenant in there, it's unsafe. Or if they do, they've got, you know, repair costs every other week, you know. So that's just a small example. That's the reason why I'm talking about this is, is those everyday people that they're, they're really affected and they have no voice to fight this. I do. Yeah, well, that's part of the reason I got in touch because when I was reading uh, about your story and listening to your podcast, I was thinking, nodding, nodding my head, yep, yep, been through that, been through that. <laughs> and property developers will be going, yeah, pretty standard fare really for trying to get anything done in this day and age. But wh- when you went into the meeting, the council meeting, were you still thinking that you would get the permit, that you'd get up? Uh, well, I, I watched it on Zoom. Look, I mean, once it got to that point and I knew Clark Martin's MO and just the troll that, that he was spraying towards me publicly, what he said on camera that I'm breaking the law or all that kind of stuff, I, I kind of knew it was pointless. I knew, you know, I think the majority, I think there was two votes, four and the rest weren't. Um, and I just knew it was, we were already preparing our VCAT case, to be honest with you, before the council meeting, that we we're already preparing that it was going to go to VCAT. We're going to object to it immediately, and we did. Um, and, yeah, and then, then that was the next phase. So then we get knocked back, and then we're preparing our VCAT case, um, you know, and just the amount of time, effort, and money you got to spend to get experts out there, um, you know, for about, about tree foliage and all that kind of stuff and soil and you know, we were doing drone shots. We Another objection was our fence was too high in portions of blah, blah, blah. And I walk my dogs down that road and I'm going to miss a bit of, bit of the ocean view for about 12 odd seconds before I get to the end of it, like just stuff like that. So we, we, we were doing drone shots. We were doing, you know, 3D imaging, which was, you know, five grand for three photos of 3D imaging about what it's going to look like, you know. So a lot of time, money, effort spent. So we, we started preparing that immediately after um, – after that council meeting. And so who was on your team for VCAT? Because I've been to VCAT myself and you only get one shot at the title. So you really don't want to leave any stone unturned. So who did you have on board? Yeah, we had John Cicero. Um, really, really good. Uh, he, was, he was awesome. And, um, yeah, I mean, most of the we prepped. We, we we did it a little bit cheeky. We prepped a. We, we reached out to as many as we could, um, and gave them a small brief for a quote. And then once you do that, the council can't hire them um, because <laughs> once you've uh, you know given someone a little bit of a brief, they're not allowed to and go for the opposing party. So we try to draw out as many um, good, notable, you know, lawyers, barristers that we could. Um, but yeah, he was great. And, and look, it was. Well, the, the council comment, wouldn't you know, have paid these... for a barrister, would they? They'd just send out someone from the planning department just to front up. Well, that was a thing. They didn't even want to do it because the planning department was they, – they were pissed because they've, they've been they've been trotted on. These are guys that they're obviously have a degree in planning. They've been to school. They're blah, blah, blah. They've just been told by some politician who has no expertise in planning that you don't know what you're doing. They're not too happy with the, the councillors. I can tell you that right now, so much so as we know that for a fact. Um, but – the so all these barristers and council uh lawyers that, that deal with VCAT they all know each other whether you're 
you fight the council cases or you fight the the builder or the developer's cases. So as soon as um you know we started talking back and forth, the opposing sides legal team were basically told our legal team like you always get the the easy cases. So we kind of knew we we're in a pretty good position. I mean, I mean, my my counsel said you never you never know you get the wrong the wrong um, judge on the day, but we, we feel like we're 70, 80% favourites to win this. And so then it was just a matter of continuing to pay massive invoices for all these experts to go out to prep, but that's what you kind of had to do. And and then, you know, we um, had a mediation, which was hilarious in itself. We had a, obviously, legally you have to have a mediation so you don't flood the courts with stupid cases. So we had that mediation. It was myself, my legal team. Now, I, I can't say anything. I've been told not to say anything, but I tell you, at times you feel like I'm muting during these calls and just lighting into some people. But so I had um, all the people from BCS and whatnot, and it, 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 funnily enough, it seemed like we were somewhat getting somewhere. Um, but one of the people on the BCS was just so gung ho and no basement completely, and to the point where you know, even the other people on the BCS, I think we're getting frustrated. It was an older fella really, really old fella, and just would not budge on the basement to the point where the mediator was like, listen, is this is this basement a, a yay or nay thing? Is, are you not agreeing to a basement under any circumstances? And when he said yes, you saw all the other people, all the other people in the BCS that he's supposed to be working with just drop their heads like, what are you doing? And then that was it, the call was cut. So then it went on to VCAT. Mm-hmm. And so what was your... so? Oh. For people that don't know, VCAT is the planning tribunal in Victoria where you can take your um, uh, requests to have planning refusals uh, reviewed and potentially overturned. But what was your it's supposed overall... to be non-political, non-partisan? They're supposed to be all they're supposed to look at is the building code, your build, and then make an educated decision on that. They're not supposed to be political, even though that. It's hard to do these days, but that's, yeah, that's kind of why people go to VCAT. Yeah, so the mediation didn't work, shall we say, and you're you're off to the tribunal? Yep, yeah, pretty much, yeah, it didn't work. It, it lasted maybe an hour. Um, like I said, it felt, it felt like the mediators can kind of get a feel for whether, whether both both sides are budging, and we budge on a few things, they, they budge on a few things, and it was kind of getting somewhere. That's what a mediator's job is. So he thought it was progressing well. But then it got to that roadblock with that one fella and, and it completely fell over. The media just went straight at him and said, look, if this is this a non-negotiable for you? And he said, yes, <laughs> over a basement. Um, and then the meeting was done, which is good. It, it didn't have to waste another hour or two listening to people, um, you know, T-jerk speeches about, about trees and ecology and all that. And so you went off to the tribunal for, a, what, a one-day hearing? No, it was actually, I think it was, I think we had scheduled... I think it was three, three or four days scheduled, which is mind-boggling in itself. Yeah, it wasn't a one day. That, that was what was crazy. So I think it ended up going three days. Yeah, it ended up going three days and, and um, you know, we got our result. So, I mean, um, even with the result, like you still got – you still don't have to reapply to council and get the physical written permit. Like it's – I thought, once again, how ignorant and stupid I was, I thought you go to court. You get your you get your decision on the day, which you don't get. You got to wait for it because then then what happened was, before they make their decision, VCAT and, and the tribunal sometimes like to go to site one more time, which there was a lockdown at the time, so they couldn't do it. So that took another six to eight weeks. So I thought court case is done, great, get my decision, get on with life. No, nah, you got to jump through another 
five hoops to even get your permit to start building. And that's that's a problem with, with what we're doing in Australia with just so much red tape and, and things just – they try to really stretch things out to see how bad you want to do it as well. And, yeah, so then we, we got the tick six to eight weeks later. I think it was like eight weeks we got the tick from – there was one small amendment we had to make. They they didn't they didn't like the color of our bricks. They were a white, um, white kind of old, older heritage type brick stone. They had to make that a gray. That was the one thing we had to change. So uh, other than that, everything else was was approved. Yeah. See, they're the kind of things I just find absolutely ridiculous. Like, why should the planning tribunal decide whether your house can be white or gray? It's just who, what difference does it make? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm, we we kind of laughed at that because it was like that was felt like it's like oh we need to give them one little one little thing just to say oh, we did, we did one thing for them but um, yeah I mean the brick the brick choice color was was a was a, a big problem for the <laughs> for VCAT I, I I guess which is amazing yeah it's weird so how did you feel after you succeeded and what was the whole time frame? What time frame are we talking here from your initial discussions with council to the VCAT decision? Oh, yeah, it would have been. Um, so I had my initial plans mid-2019, I think. Uh, well, no, earlier than that, actually. So we started our planning early, early. Uh, I think after, after Easter sometime, started those plans. So, yeah, 18 odd months, um, you know, and... Yeah, it was look. It was it was. I, I was at a point where we were, to be honest with you, we were half considering whether we go ahead with the build, um, even during the process and before VCAT. But I just gotten too far with these people that I was like, you know what, like I'm not going to let you win. Um, so they ended up half winning anyway because obviously I've sold the property and whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was just one thing that I just wanted to show people that you know you, you got to fight these people and stare them in the eye, and that was kind of you know it was it was a good feeling to get. Um, the win to an extent, but then, like, like you said, it's, it's still like you change the color of my bricks. Like, <laughs> like you know, it's just like, oh, you know, it was a win to an extent, but it's still, still not right in my opinion. And so, you've just given the uh, end of the story away. There, you ended up deciding to <laughs> to sell it. It wasn't too too long ago. Talk us through that. It sold pretty quickly in the end. Yeah, as I said, we were, you know, as soon as my address was printed, we were we were just a bit cognizant of of, of all that it goes from far between, right? So we were kind of having reservations about that, and I guess once we got the permit and really had to make the decision, then you know the build time we quoted eighteen months, but with the way Victoria was going with lockdowns in and out, there's a huge, you know, as you would probably know, there's a huge shortage in building supplies right now. Everything's heavily delayed. You can't get materials. You can't get marble. You can't get anything you want, right? Um, it's 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 half a year to get stuff here at best. Um, so we thought our kids start school next year. <clears throat> we're probably, you know, by the time we get that planning permit from council and then start the process and then go through all, you know, get all the paperwork, that's probably going to be, you know, first quarter 2022 before we get all the paperwork in order, probably Easter. Then you get organised a trade to start, and, and and we had our building, our builders, you know, essentially um, signed and done, ready to go. Um, but that that will probably be mid year. Then you got shortages, so we thought no chance of of twenty three, maybe twenty four, and, and we just didn't want to go through that distraction with the kids in school, you know, because theoretically our plan is out to have a build started hopefully by 
late 19, you know, um, that should be done around this time or maybe mid next year. So we were like, all right, six months, we'll just rent somewhere and then move in, right? But yeah, that was a, a factor. But like, to be honest with you, the determining factor was having my address printed was just a non-negotiable for me. And that's, you know, I still, that's, that's the Beaumaris Conservation Society's, you know, fault completely. They, they, um, you know, they had, if they didn't bring the attention that they did to this. Um, and now they probably see that as a positive and something they'll probably try to do to other people. That's how, how militant and petty they are. Um, so just, yeah, just disappointing. And I really hope there's, there's a workaround. I don't, I don't, I don't think there is, but I really hope that we can, you know, open a discussion around them not being funded by our rates to push councillors to do what they do. Yeah, so you sold the site with plans and permits in place, and I think it sold within a week, didn't it? it sold really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we listed it. I listed it through Listing Loop. Um, so check that out if you can. All the people out there, it's a trying to. I'm not sure if you know of the mafia esque techniques of REA and domain, but they um, <laughs> their fees are just um, amazingly <laughs> crazy, and they just continue to rise. And they're you know most agents they won't say it publicly. They, don't, they hate working with them. So Listing Loop's a nice little competitive forum that's doing very, very well at the moment, mind you. Um, did very, very well. They, they got rock bottom advertising. You can actually almost self-advertise. You can you can show up to, to the house and get the listing online that day yourself. You know, it won't be professional photos, but you can get ahead of the market by taking photos of your phone, uploading it. Then obviously you'd send a professional photographer within a couple of weeks, but the advantage is your, your property's on market much faster than going through a, an agency that has to take photos and then pay the advertising and you can get them for advertising on their site for you know really cheap prices compared to rea but so i listed it through them and then further on down the week i think we listed it on a monday morning then we did then we did obviously the the, the bigger websites later on in that week um had an offer by that that sunday so um and then had, had signed off on an offer by that sunday evening um to a couple that that you know, they, they really like the fact that the house um, was livable that's currently on it, more than livable. And, yeah, they decided to, to buy. I'm, I'm not sure what they can do with the rear block. They potentially might subdivide it back and then sell it again. Um, but, yeah, it was it was really surprising. Um, so I guess I think you would go out to the Conservation Society because of the attention that they brought with the sale of the house. It actually helped a lot because everyone everyone knew about how beautiful and and pristine the the area was so it um yeah it's always nice to have a quick sale yeah it must have been a bit of a relief after everything that you'd been through both um yeah relief just look whenever you list something to sale if you can get it sold in the first week you usually know with property sales in the first week where you sit uh, so if you can get it sold in the first week like you're doing really well but at the same same time you know there's a bit of sadness a bit of a heavy heart around it because you know, a small fringe lunatic minority group has basically dictated what someone can do um, to an extent, you know, and, and caused a lot of problems for no reason. So, you know, that's a disappointing part of it. It was, uh, we put just, we just put so much time and effort into the plans. You know, I spent a lot of time in 2019 and 20 of meeting the architects, going back and forth, small tweak here, small tweak there. You know, we got so far along those and I'm a, I'm a guy that generally likes to finish something I start. You know, the wife was a little bit sad about it, but we we decided that, you know, we'll just move on and move on to another project, essentially. Yeah, so is there another property development project in the pipeline or in the future from Andrew Bogut? Not right now. Um, potentially down the line, who knows? But, yeah, I mean, as far as this kind of stuff, um, it's just 
for me, it's not with the current lay of the land with councils and how they're in bed with with these fringe groups. It's it's just I would hate to be a property developer like on a daily basis dealing with these people. Like it's it's just horrendous what they do, what they put you through, um, and even just a self renter someone that's a family that wants to self-renew their house, you know, like I said, the her- heritage overlay and, and, you know, people protesting at the front of your house, like they just, they just cause problems. And, and these very same people are, are doing the same thing. They're, they're, you know, a few of them, funnily enough, a few of the objectors lived in my little area there. And, you know, we had um, one lady giving her spiel during one of those calls and um, someone in my team, we're in a group chat, had posted a photo of basically a satellite image of her property and, Let's just say it was it was concrete as far as the eye could see, you know, and no, no greenery. Um, and she's telling me how many trees I should have in my property. So you're like, you know, that's what you're dealing with. But yeah, as, as far as all-in property developments, I think um, I'm probably going to steer away from that. I just, I just number one, I I have no need to. Number two, I'm, you know, if, if I'm doing it for profit, I don't I don't know the first thing about it doing it for profit. Um, but it's, yeah, I was doing it more for for a dream home, quote unquote. Yeah, I always have a bit of a chuckle with this perception that property development is is easy that people have, you know, just buy the block, get your permit, build the houses, sell them for profit. <laughs> and you go, yeah. Well, you do, like to, to an extent, maybe, maybe in, 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 this is the hypocrisy of it all. Are these people fighting the same way for, um, you know, quote unquote poor areas or lower socioeconomic areas? No. It's NIMBY to a, to, to a T, and they're, they're all for, oh, we're fighting for people that don't have much. No, you're not. <laughs> you're fighting for yourself because if you go down to areas that are not deemed as blue chip, you see townhouse after townhouse after townhouse, wall to wall. You can basically hear your neighbour taking a piss next door. There's no parking. You can't even drive through half these bloody streets because these poor people have to park on the street, and it basically becomes a one-lane road both ways. Then I find them. That they're fighting about their neighbourhood. We don't want this to happen in now, so why are you letting it happen down down the road? Um, so, yeah, to your point, you can get planning permits pretty easily in some of those other suburbs, but as long as it doesn't come and affect me, then I'm okay with it. <laughs> Let's switch gears uh, a little bit just as we close out the interview because I know you got to get away. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um. Well, it depends on what, what 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 field, I guess. But I mean, some advice that probably sticks with me financially would be to um, overpay. I actually posted this on Twitter the other day and got some shit from some bedwetters. But um, overpay for for experiences and food and family and and that kind of stuff, and underpay for physical and material things. So um, that still rings true today. I'll I'll overpay for food. I'll go to these restaurants and try. The best thing on their menu and not think twice. And if it's outrageously high, $100 steak, so be it. But when it comes to a physical material asset, I'll, I'll try to get the best price and negotiate with the best of them. What about from a business perspective? Have you got any advice out there for people? I mean, in this case, we're talking property developers, but you've obviously got some business experience yourself. For people looking to take their business to the next level, what would your top tip be for them? My top tip would be, I hope people don't take this the wrong way, but your degree doesn't mean shit until you've until you've actually done a project or done a or done a you know you've been involved in business. I would I would hire the person that's got no degree but ran a business or done a property development before I'd hire someone with a degree fresh out of school. 
that makes sense because your degree can't teach you the, the kind of the kind of shit you got to deal with on a daily basis with people, human interactions, setbacks, this, that, councils, conservation. You don't read about that in books, you know, and um, experience, 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 experience. Um, even people hiring people that have failed can be can be good because they've 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 probably had the harshest critic arguably right if they failed what given an effort but they've failed those people can be very valuable too if, if they've learned from it the right way so um i'm all about experience and i value experience more than more than a book degree very good well have you got any uh last requests or anything from the listeners of the show i mean just hold i would write to you know don't it's not okay what 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 councillors and these uh, fringe societies, conservation societies, by Morris Modern, every area has their own group of people that are, that are these people. It's not okay for them to do what they're doing. You know, I was kind of when I was going through all this with planning and all that. Most people were like, "Oh yeah, it's just the council. Everyone's got to go through it. It's the norm." It's like, no, it should not be the norm. There needs to be a set protocol. Um, and then it shouldn't it shouldn't get political beyond that. Like this is your building code. I'm in it. Leave me alone. Let me do my project. Right. Um, so we got to hold those people accountable. Every opportunity it should not not just be allowed to slide by with like ice. It's just it's just it's just norm. It's everything. You get. It's a way of Australian life. You got to deal with councillors. They they they're a pain in the ass. But it is what it is. Well, I, I disagree with that. The problem is I don't know how to fix it. Um, my only logical explanation to fix it would be to not pay their not pay the rates or pay pay half the rates or pay a quarter of the rates because they're not going to listen to you can write letters to your counselor you can post on facebook and twitter and you know do even do these kind of podcasts i don't think it's going to affect change i think once they start seeing their bottom line erode um problem is you need enough people to come together to do it you know you need you need your whole if you can get 20 30 percent of your uh, electorate or your council to come together and say you know, I'm only paying 50% of my rates till this is fixed. You start to see change. But beyond that, um, very, very hard. The letters, the letters to them, they don't mean shit. <laughs> it is very frustrating. It has to be said. It's, it has to be a better way. I think if it was quicker, that would be a good start. Well, that's it. Where's their, where's their KPIs? Like, you run a business, right? You've got KPIs. If you're a manager and you've got a business owner that's looking at you as a manager, you have KPIs. You're like, hey... I need this done. You've got 30 days to get this done. And then if you don't, you ask questions like, why is this day 40 and you haven't got it done? Where's the council's KPIs? Why does it take them three months to stamp a document and get it back to you? So if we're paying these kind of council rates, they need to put down some KPIs for us. Okay, you lodge a building permit, you get a you get an answer within 30 days. You lodge this, they're just a it's the wild, wild west with councils. They can you know, and it's a beautiful job for the people working there. You're on the public purse. Like I said, you probably do three or four hours of work in a 10-hour day. Most people in their own business do 12 hours of work in a 10-hour day. And they just constantly get away with it because our taxes are so high. It just continues to fund the cycle of, of complacency and, and mediocrity. You can just do the bare minimum. So it just really, really shits me when it's just like, why is this taking so long? Why is it sitting on your desk so long? That's not... That's not normal. Not when I'm paying. If I if I take my rate money and put that towards getting this done, I'd get it done in a day. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it just doesn't it doesn't add up. And 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 they they need to be held accountable. But how do we do that? 
Yep, it's certainly a challenge, one that uh, developers out there are very familiar with. But anyway, I know you've got to get away. Andrews, uh, where can people find out more about you if they're interested? Yeah, so all my social media, um, at Andrew Bogert on Instagram and Twitter, um, same on Facebook, and then I do a podcast um, for those basketball fans, uh, at Rogue Bogues, one word, R-O-G-U-E, B-O-G-U-E-S, at Rogue Bogues on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and then that's the Rogue Bogues podcast. So kind of do um, a weekly basketball show. I do, uh, also do some um, random common sense stuff. So I did one on the Bayside City Council. We do an in-conversation series. So... Um, it's kind of a hybrid podcast that isn't basketball only. So I talk about political events, current events, all that kind of stuff too. Um, and take any chance I can get to tell people how bad of a premier Daniel Andrews is. Yes, you're very entertaining on your Instagram feed if people uh, <laughs> want to see you in full flight. I just got to be yourself. It's frowned upon, but you got to be yourself. As There's enough of that other person out there that are trying to be something they're not. So... I, um, like I said, I by no means am always right. I'm not always right, but I'll give you my opinion and um, people love me or hate me, so I'm, I'm cool to live live that way. Well, Andrew Bogert, thank you for being on the Property Developer Podcast. been awesome talking to you about your experience with property development. Hopefully the next one goes more smoothly if you choose to do it, but we really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your insights with us. No worries. Thanks. Take it easy. See you later.